Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural ideas they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. And I'm Stephanie Marutis of Cuvenda Media, where we produce narratives for social change. Five years ago, Stephanie and I launched Diving Board together in the context of an exhibition about the artist Violet Oakley. She was one of the most phenomenal women in American art from the late 19th century through the early 1960s and a social change maker. Now, 30 episodes later, we're going to spend this episode taking stock of where Woodmere has been, where the museum is now, and where it's headed with the acquisition of McGuire Hall, and so much more, including some of our favorite moments from Diving Board. All right, Bill, let's first wind up the time machine and go back to when Woodmere opened its doors to the public more than 100 years ago in 1910. Can you give listeners a brief history about who started Woodmere, how it operated, and what the museum showcased at that time? The story of Woodmere's origins is very interesting. It began in the mind of a man named Charles Knox Smith, who had been born to humble means, but had rose to great heights of wealth in the mining industry. He worked for a mining company, learned the industry, and started his own business. He loved art. He loved the city of Philadelphia. He was a child of the Civil War and was a real Union supporter and Lincoln advocate. He wanted to spread the ideals of a new society across the city of Philadelphia and had this idea that Philadelphia should have an art museum, which it did not have at the time. The Philadelphia Museum of Art in the late 19th century still existed in Memorial Hall as a museum of the applied arts. The Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts was an academy and so a school that had art and had annual exhibitions, but was functioning as an academy, not exactly like an art museum. And Charles Knox Smith believed that that's what the city needed. He lived downtown, but believed that the experience of art was so elevated that he should offer it as an experience to his fellow Philadelphians in the context of the beauty of nature. He believed that nature and art together could lift the soul. And so he bought an existing estate, already called Woodmere, out in the neighborhood that we now know as Chestnut Hill. And he wanted people to come to the museum, journeying down Lincoln Drive, which was a gravel path for horses in those days, or Kelly Drive to Lincoln Drive, and to arrive at Woodmere that way and to prepare for the experience of art through the extraordinary experience of nature. Charles Knox Smith's art collection, the art collection that he created Woodmere for, had its great strength in 19th century landscape paintings, works of art that we recognize today as the Hudson River School. Although Charles Knox Smith, being such a strongly civic-minded Philadelphian, really patronized and purchased art from landscape painters in Philadelphia who were connected and who were part of the Hudson River movement, but were grounded in Philadelphia. And that's very much the core and the beginning of Woodmere's collection and the beginning of Woodmere as a museum. 
Well, we've come a long way from arriving at Woodmere by horse and carriage. <laughs> um, and, <Yeah. laughs> and while Lincoln Drive presents its challenges, it's not at least a gravel road at this point. <laughs> so that's really fascinating that it predates the PMA moving out of Memorial Hall. So Woodmere has had a long foothold in Philadelphia. And we know that the museum has persisted. And up until even World War II and the country was more or less shut down in a lot of ways. The museum managed to stay afloat. And at that time, Violet Oakley's life partner, artist Edith Emerson, became the formal curator at the museum. And as we've told the story on Diving Board, one of our first episodes, Edith and Violet were dynamic and they were pivotal for Woodmere. So can you tell us about how their chapter at the museum really catapulted the institution. It's again, it's another really wonderful story. So after the death of Charles Knox Smith's wife, Susan Gertrude Smith, in the late 1930s, according to the terms of both of their wills, Woodmere was converted from being a private museum, a house museum, to being a public 501c3 charitable institution. A board of trustees was created, and Edith Emerson, who you mentioned, who was the wife, we would say today, but who was the life partner, as those were the sorts of words that Violet and Edith used. Edith was on the board, and within a few years, because of different changes at the institution, she became curator, and eventually her title became director of the museum. And in forming a charitable organization, a charitable mission had to be established. And it was in the years of Edith Emerson's directorship, which runs from the early 1940s to 1978. So at least 35 years, close to 40 years, Edith was in charge at Woodmere and running the show. And I have to imagine that there was a good deal of participation in this conversation from Violet, who is one of the most civic-minded artists in the history of Philadelphia. And I believe that what they had to do, and this is Edith Violet, but the other members of the board of trustees at Woodmere and the community at large, like what makes sense for this museum, for this institution. And it was in these years in the 1940s that they formalized a mission that would focus on the artists of Philadelphia and a collecting institution that would be a record of the evolution of the arts in Philadelphia. And interestingly, at the same time, a lot of these same people we're also forming an organization called the Art Alliance, which still exists on Rittenhouse Square. It's now part of the University of the Arts. But the Art Alliance was created with many of the same voices involved as an exhibiting institution for the artists of Philadelphia. So the formalization of Woodmere's mission takes place in that context. And it's fascinating to see how of course, Edith is very much thinking about Charles Knox Smith and his legacy because he too is informing Woodmere, really thinking about how can this be a gift to the people of Philadelphia? Charles Knox Smith was a city council member, very civic-minded individual. And I think that Edith and Violet are thinking about that history and how do they honor that? Because Charles Knox Smith settled some funds in his will on his children, but the building and endowment, the collection, all went toward the creation of this charitable institution. So how do they honor him? I think that Edith looked at 
Charles Knox Smith's art collection, and especially its strength, say, in landscape. And one of her big achievements at Woodmere was exhibiting and collecting the work of the artists who are the American Impressionist artists of Philadelphia. And these are artists like Edward Redfield, Walter Elmer Schofield, Daniel Garber, so many of the other artists in their group had their first exhibitions with Edith at Woodmere. And Woodmere has, as a result, still a great collection of landscape painting of the 20th century artists of Philadelphia as a result of Edith's friendships with these artists and I think her deliberate strategy that this was a good way to move Charles Knox Smith's legacy into the 20th century. The other thing that's absolutely remarkable about what Edith does is that she's very clear that Woodmere will be a place for Violet's work to exist in perpetuity. And Woodmere has the great collection of Violet Oakley's work as a result of that. And also, she collected works by women artists before other museums were taking women artists seriously. And so artists like Faye Swangle Badura, Jane Piper, Keita Broadhead are in Woodmere's collection and have been for some time as a result of Edith's collecting. And this is a great history. There's a group of women artists in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Ten, and Edith is connected and involved with this group of women who are exhibiting art together, and Woodmere has the great collection of their work as a result of Edith's collecting. And that's another one of the things that makes Woodmere's collection unique. And the institution has continued to build on these achievements looking to the future. And so we continue to prioritize works by women artists, and we continue to work with our collection of landscape paintings and Impressionist paintings, building on that legacy from Edith, but also bringing it into the present. And I know that this episode is about the history of Diving Board and the history of Woodmere, but I remember we did some really great episodes around a show at Woodmere recently that was bringing historical landscape paintings together with the work of artists today in Philadelphia who are looking at landscape from the perspective of the fragility of the landscape, of how important it is that we preserve the precious green spaces that we have, and as humans, respect the ecosystem so that it doesn't collapse on us, as it seems like it is so much in danger of doing. And so it was a fascinating exhibition to really pair up artists living today. I remember we had a juxtaposition of some spectacular works by the artist Emily Brown, and looking at her works together with Daniel Garber's works, and seeing where they kind of rhyme, so to speak, and how they're both looking at nature in an interesting way that speaks to each other. And in some cases, the artists of 100 years ago, the Impressionist artists, were concerned about the encroachment of industrialization on the beautiful natural landscape that they knew, the Wissahickon, the Schuylkill River, which had a history of industrialization. And all of a sudden, you put these works of art together, and it makes for a fascinating experience and a mind-opening project in the museum. And this is a lot about how we've 
tried to move Woodmere into the current age by sort of engaging past and present and really honoring the history at Woodmere and saying, how do we honor it? By saying, it still matters. And certainly, Bill, you have, um, during your tenure at Woodmere, you have further developed this idea literally by practicing being a steward of the land around Woodmere and how to increase water conservation efforts on the grounds and using natural materials to create outdoor sculptures, which we can touch on as I'm going to ask you. 2010 came along in Woodmere's history and you became the director after being at the Philadelphia Museum of Art as the assistant director for administration. And so, Bill, can you take us back to when you first started as director at Woodmere and what you decided to focus on? It was important when I walked in the door in 2010 at Woodmere, and the museum was pretty quiet. The attendance wasn't as robust as it should be. And I had to look at that and ask if Woodmere was meeting people where they are, or if as a museum, it was trying to do its usual museum thing and not speaking to the things that people care about in the contemporary world. That was kind of the first question. Like, are we going about this the right way? Are we meeting people where they truly are? And so the example of the landscape show that we just talked about, people rightfully care about what happens to the green space around us. And it seemed like we have this great collection of landscape paintings. Can we use that to open up that conversation? And we needed to do that more generally across other areas of interest in the arts. I wanted to think about Woodmere's outdoor spaces, as you described. One of the unique characteristics of Woodmere is that we now have 10 acres of beautiful green space. And how do we activate that in a hands-on way? Again, respecting Charles Knox Smith's vision that art and nature go together. So how do art and nature go together today? And Charles Knox Smith had a lookout tower and it was to see out over nature. And there was a very different relationship. Today, we roll up our sleeves, we get dirty. We want to see it, feel it, smell it, taste it, do all of that kind of stuff in nature. And artists are engaged with that as well in works of art that are interactive and speak to the sky, speak to the ground, speak to the water. An example is the free interpretation of plant forms by Harry Bertoia, a spectacular, important sculpture actually belongs to the city of Philadelphia. It's on loan for 99 years to Woodmere and renewable. So there's a magical cascading of water across the surface of that sculpture, which is a fountain. And by engaging people with the magic of the way the forms and the water interact, we can ask them, so where is the water coming from? Where is the water going? And enlarge that conversation to where does the water come from in life more generally? And where does it go? Like specifically when it rains and hits the ground. Where does it go if we're standing on a parking surface? What happens to the water? And we've been able to create a green parking surface so that we do control the water that goes onto our parking surface. And we engage people with that process. We have bioswales and cisterns and infiltration basins. We have a series of step pools that are very beautiful and they act as sculpture in the landscape. And we engage people with those kinds of questions. And the art is very much a launching point for those kinds of discussions. 
in a formal education kind of way. But then we're also planting local plants. We are working with pollinators and trying to bring back the species of plants and flowers that nurture the bees and the microorganisms that we need. And we make that part of the art experience at Woodmere. So that's all incredibly exciting. One of my favorite diving board episodes was the one we did about the La Cresta sculpture by Sid oh, Carpenter yeah. and Steve Donegan, which yeah. I think is really unique. I haven't seen anything like that in Philadelphia. It's such an exciting project, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. One of the really, really exciting projects that we've engaged with recently has to do with La Cresta, which is an earth sculpture. These are hugel mounds, and so it's dead plant material, wood from trees that had died, mounded up with soil and planted in specific shapes. La Cresta, the crest, refers to Ridge Avenue, which was the Lene Lenape Road that went from the northwest area of Philadelphia to the area that we now call Center City, Philadelphia. Ridge is the high point, the ridge, and so it was a roadway. And what's so exciting about that as we develop our new project at McGuire Hall, our new space at Woodmere, we've opened up a partnership with the Lenape. We've been looking at La Cresta and we've been talking with leaders of the Lenape Nation about giving it a new title. They love the sculpture and love the reference to Ridge and love the idea of the growth and honoring this idea of the road that was the land that they stewarded. One of the things I learned from working with the Lenape is I would never say it was their road. They did not believe they owned the land or owned the road. They stewarded it. They used it. They nurtured it, but it still exists. And we partner with them in continuing to steward this land going forward. So we've engaged with them with the conversation about La Cresta, the sculpture by Steve Donegan and Sid Carpenter. And we're talking about further projects with them. And so, for example, at McGuire Hall, I learned that the Lenape are working on a cookbook. There's research into the sustenance that was the culture of life. And we're looking at the grounds at McGuire Hall and saying, well, could we participate somehow and work with you with this cookbook idea and plant the herbs and the berries and the nuts and the fruits that go into this diet? And then even more deeply, how do we engage with what it means to forage for nuts and berries and the Lenape did farming, but they also foraged. And I described before that one of the things that I've learned is that the Lenape did not feel like they owned the land. And so one of the interesting conversations that we've had is that the idea of a fence or hedge is not part of the vocabulary of that philosophy of life with the land. And McGuire Hall has this really very useful stone wall and hedge around the periphery of the property. And it's useful from a number of practical reasons in terms of protecting people from falling off of high areas. And the hedge is a useful buffer in that sense. It gives the museum privacy, it gives neighbors privacy. And at the same time, can we create a dialogue between the hedge and what it represents as kind of a boundary marker? So 
What's so exciting to me about working in a museum is having the opportunity to animate these kinds of conversations and to animate it experientially on a level of what people care about. And I think these are the kinds of questions that people care about or should care about as we move forward as a humanistic society together. Something I'd also love to talk about, Stephanie, is we've talked a lot about art and nature, landscape painting, outdoor sculpture, but there are other areas. Early on, when I arrived at Woodmere, we made some strategic decisions. Philadelphia is a majority not white city, but Woodmere prior to 2010 was a pretty white looking establishment in terms of who are the people coming in the door. And so we made a strategic decision that we wanted to open the doors and make Woodmere a place that would engage non-white people in Philadelphia, specifically African-American history. It was clear to me that there were many important artists in Philadelphia who were African-American who hadn't had the platform of museum exhibitions to share their work in the ways that their work deserved to be shared. So we organized an exhibition series that continues to this day we you know, have explored many of those exhibitions in this podcast, Africa and the Arts of Philadelphia, John Mosley. Uh, Freedom's Journal uh, with Jerry Pinckney. Jerry Pinckney. And there are so many more to come. So I'm excited about that. Also, a real game changer for Woodmere has been our Friday Night Jazz program. Part of what I wanted to bring to Woodmere was conversation in the arts, art and music, art and poetry, art and literature. And Philadelphia has a very distinguished history of jazz, which is an African-American art form. And so early on, it was a very deliberate decision that we wanted to have a Friday night jazz program that would really focus on the history of jazz in Philadelphia. And our partner in that has been Warren Ori and the Arpeggio Jazz Ensemble. And some of the episodes of Diving Board that I remember with the deepest feeling of emotions and heartfelt presence were some of the recording, some of the podcasting that we did with Warren in the years of the pandemic, because of course we needed to shift around. People weren't going to come to Woodmere to hear jazz, but how do we continue the conversation and the dialogue? And Warren has organized this program at Woodmere for 12 years now, and it has what I would say is his authentic voice. But that multiplicity of voices is part of what makes Woodmere a welcoming place to so many people. And so I'm very proud of that aspect of what Woodmere has become. And Warren and the jazz program have been absolutely instrumental. And we can say Woodmere is no longer a sleepy place at all. And as we've heard you talk through the podcast here, this is one thing I love about you, Bill. You're very open to exploring a variety of relationships and trying different types of programming. And I think that is going to serve the institution well, that openness that you have. And certainly during the pandemic, we saw you flex this muscle, having to do more with less and find ways to keep (laughs) engaging, right? Um, Museum goers. 
you know, the museum I know stayed open with precautions, but how did Woodmere manage to get through that and then sort of repurpose its vision to where we are now? We tried so many things through the pandemic to experiment with the outdoor space. We had a drive-in movie theater, which was really fun. We had concerts outside, which turned out great. And we've continued and will continue those outdoor summer concerts. We brought the jazz program outside. That was terrific. We were working online and we were working outside. And I was so happy in the years of the pandemic that we had invested so much already in the outdoor space because it created a place for us to just simply be and invite people to come to. And it was a place that they felt safe. I mean, I would say Woodmere, in a lot of ways, was fortunate in being a small institution, because although the financial impact of the pandemic was serious and difficult for us, the financial losses of earned revenue and ticket sales didn't have the magnitude of an impact that it had on a number of the larger museums. And so we were very fortunate to get the PPP loan from the federal government, which was then forgiven, as you know. A number of our board members stepped up and made extra large gifts. Woodmere is blessed with having a terrific board that really cares about the institution. And we were able to get through the pandemic and really focus on continue to build audience. I mean, we had people attending our online art classes from across the country. And we've really worked hard to try to maintain those relationships and those audiences. And some of our programs expanded in the years of the pandemic. And so just for example, our partnership with ARTS, A-R-T-Z, the program that engages with Alzheimer's patients and their caregivers, bringing that online expanded that audience. And then, you know, in the years of the pandemic, the isolation for people in those circumstances was was really hard. You know, it was particular. It was hard for everybody, but hard to imagine what that feeling would be like. So that program really grew. So one of the questions that we then asked ourselves, and we grew out of the exploration of this question, was how do we engage people across the Zoom screen, and how do we make it so that it seems like okay, you're still in a gallery. You tell us which of these works of art around us you want us to focus on. And we could use technology, and we're still experimenting, and we have some things that we'd like to do to kind of make it interactive in that sense, so that people on the other side of the Zoom screen at home, or in some cases in a nursing home, could be able to say, oh, you know, there's this part of Woodmere's collection I'd like to explore. And how do we use technology to make that a seamless and enjoyable experience. So, you know, the pandemic, out of necessity, made us think about technology in new ways. That's been exciting. Not easy. And, you know, you had to figure that out in a way that many institutions had to as well. And you got through it. And I know it was perhaps a traumatizing period, but you're here. And what's really kind of amazing is that you and the board and your staff then went on to acquire a new building, a a substantial building. Um, And so had that always been in the back of your mind that Woodmere would grow? So we always had certain strategic goals that we knew were important to the institution and that we were trying to figure out. So art storage, our art storage facility from day one was packed. And 12 years later, it's even more packed. And so we needed to expand the space that we have for art storage. 
we need to expand the gallery space that we have. We have about 9,000 works of art in the collection, and a very small portion of that is on view at any given time because we use so much of the space that we have for changing exhibitions. We call them special exhibitions in museums. So the opportunity at McGuire Hall, which is formerly the residence convent of the Sisters of St. Joseph's, almost adjacent property with four acres and a 17,000 square foot building. I kind of thought, oh my God, the timing couldn't be worse in the middle of a pandemic to be raising money to buy a property. But P.S., it turned out to be a great time to do it. Everybody was at home and paying attention to what was going on. And the economy was flying in positive directions. And so people were able to be generous across the community that cares about Woodmere. And we were able to purchase the building and we're now engaged with the renovation of it. It will open its doors to the public in the spring of 2025, and it will be galleries for Woodmere's collection. So we talked about the great collection of Violet Oakley that we have. We will have galleries for that. We will have galleries for a collection of American Impressionism, galleries for the photography artists of Philadelphia. And then finally, and I'm really excited about this, is we will use the main floor to create five galleries dedicated to the living artists of Philadelphia, to contemporary art in Philadelphia and dialogues in the arts today of the city. And in this sense, I think these galleries will be the only ones of their kind in the city, the only museum galleries dedicated to Philadelphia's own artists on a permanent basis. And we will be able to explore like what is distinctive about Philadelphia's arts. Franny McGuire, for whom the building is now named, thanks to an extraordinarily generous lead grant from the McGuire Foundation, was herself an artist and an art collector. And she really conceived of herself as an artist and as somebody who loved art, as someone with a very specific relationship to a formation of the arts that's unique to Philadelphia. And this is a tradition of painting, of abstract painting in the arts that comes from the great modernist of Philadelphia, Arthur Carls, and the artists who are his students. And so Jane Piper, who I've already mentioned, and Keita Broadhead, but then their students, artists like Bill Scott, and then his students, who Franny felt like she was a part of that community of artists. So we will be able to present the work of those artists in the context of Galleries dedicated to Arthur Carls and his circle of artists in the earlier years of the 20th century. But then also in our galleries, we'll be able to show the extraordinary diversity of the arts in Philadelphia today. Contemporary art as a phenomenon, broadly speaking, is an international dialogue today. Like you cannot talk about contemporary art without talking about a conversation between people who are living on every populated continent of the planet. And similarly in Philadelphia, which is a diverse city with people living here from all of these parts of the planet, contemporary art is an international dialogue in Philadelphia today. And it'll be very exciting to explore that and show that with the work of artists. And I'm also interested in art that speaks to the specific culture and formations of the arts in Philadelphia today. And so artists, for example, working in Kensington and engaging with 
the opioid crisis and how can art be a healing force and make a positive difference in that context. And there are artists living in Philadelphia who are grappling with that in really hard and interesting ways. And I find it exciting that we'll be able to explore that in these new galleries as well. So the contemporary gallery aspect of what McGuire Hall will be is one of the most exciting parts of it to me. And I think it's one of the important functions of a museum, which is to make your community a better place for artists to live and exist and make art, to bring creativity and self-expression and openness of mind to everyone who engages with the museum, artists and non-artists, because of course, creativity is the foundation I think, of good life. And being able to live a good life is being able to be creative and have agency in your direction forward and in your contribution to our society more broadly. Well said, Bill. And, you know, I think that's part of the social mission of art and Woodmere is yeah. doing what it can to engage Philadelphians and those beyond Philadelphia in dialogue. And, you know, that's what we've tried to do here on Diving Board. I completely agree. It's what makes us have such a great relationship because it's what Cuvenda Media and your passion is, is social change. And this is what art does, whether directly or indirectly, art opens the mind, it opens the spirit, and it doesn't have to engage in politics in a direct way in order to give people the tools to think. And I feel like that's why we love each other so much. It's very mutual. <laughs> What's also amazing about Diving Board is that it has served as part of the record. And so, gosh, how amazing that we were able to do so much work with artists like Jerry Pinckney or Charlie Santori, who are no longer with us. And to record with them what it is that their art is about and what their goals and aspirations were. And that's an important function of the museum is preserving those voices, telling those stories. And it's not just Jerry and Charlie, it's just so many others who are still with us, but you know, have had a lot to say. And what people have to say changes with time. And, and already, like in the period of time that we've been working on Diving Board, times have changed. We're in a different world now post-pandemic than we were before. And that's a very banal observation. I mean, we all kind of know that, but it'll be very interesting to see how we move forward from here and how that's different from where we were just a year ago. Well, I've been grateful for our collaboration and the opportunity to tell stories with you and engage with so many different artists, some of who you mentioned. It's been extraordinary, actually, especially learning the life stories of the artists that started that artistic spark started young as we learned throughout many of our interviews and then to see how so much of the art showcased is social change yeah. driven so i'm excited for you and woodmere and this is a really phenomenal chapter ahead uh, that you're laying the foundation for so thanks again for doing this podcast together bill it's been tremendous Oh my God, I'm ready for the next, how many episodes have we done already? I, I was 30. surprised when you said, I'm 30. Like, wow, I'm ready for the next 30 or the next 50.
Thank you, Stephanie, so much. I enjoyed talking with you today. And thank you, Brad Linder, for mixing the show. And for everyone who's listening, please come to Woodmere. We've got lots of exciting stuff going on over the holidays. And you can find out what we're doing today, tomorrow, and the next day on our website, woodmereartmuseum.org. I'm Bill Valerio from Woodmere Art Museum. Thank you so much. And I'm Stephanie Marutis of Cuvenda Media. Thanks for joining us.